This is a CNA podcast. The sweet sound of freedom. After being grounded since the pandemic began, Chinese nationals can finally start planning their overseas trips, while foreigners can look forward to an easier time entering the country. Reuniting after nearly three years, these are passengers from the first international flight that arrived in China's Shenzhen airport earlier this morning. As China reopened its borders and ended its COVID isolation, joining the rest of the world in living with the coronavirus. Hello and welcome to CNA Correspondent. I'm your host, Teresa Tang. On today's edition, we speak to two people who lived through and reported on China's strict zero-COVID policy. Olivia Xiong and Lo Min Min join me to discuss Beijing's handling of the reopening and its impact on the world as Chinese travel is set to take off. Hi, Olivia Min Min, welcome. Hi, Teresa. Hello. You know, I'm sure at one point it felt like this day would never come. The day you could go in and out of China with ease, without the need for weeks-long quarantines. Uh, And I remember watching both of your reports during the height of COVID thinking, wow, our jobs as journalists can be tough, but in China that is just a whole new level. Olivia, let's start with you. What was it like navigating the workday and daily life when there were so many restrictions? Um, so how long do we have for this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do we really sum up these three years of living in China? And if we were to talk about navigating daily life here, I think we could sum it up by saying that it's been about really adapting to the different stages and forms in which zero COVID has taken on in these last three years. And I was just thinking about it to the start of all this three years ago. I remember reporting on the start of this pandemic when we were hearing about this mysterious virus which no one knew about it hadn't even been named COVID-19 yet and that shock and anxiety when Wuhan went into that unprecedented lockdown which truly was unsinkable and unseen ever before at the time and that really set the stage for China's zero COVID policy and then here in Beijing I remember those eerily quiet streets and that fear and nervousness as people chose to stay indoors and as the virus then spread to the rest of the world and China shut its borders many have been supportive of the zero COVID policy but then I think there was a bit of a shift in in 2022 when Omicron hit and it became evidently too hard to contain with that same zero COVID strategy given that it was more contagious even as the rest of the world chose to open up the WHO said that uh, China's zero COVID policy was unsustainable but China pressed on it doubled down in fact imposed more restrictions which affected more of the population. I remember stocking up on some food but it being very difficult to get any groceries delivered. The supermarket shelves were just wiped out and the malls and shops around my neighborhood were all closed. There was no dining in, the subway was shut, there was no public transport, you couldn't even get a cab. I remember cycling or taking a run around just to get some fresh air on a number of days because we had been working from home and it was just so empty and so quiet. And I think the biggest challenge from then has been about dealing with this unpredictability and uncertainty that policy and restrictions could change on short notice. If you're talking about PCR tests, you 
can't count the number of PCR tests that we had to do. There was this mass testing every day at one point. We quite often, for big events to cover them, we had to check into media quarantine hotels ahead of time. News conferences were held by a video link. I did share a bit of uh, this tinge of sadness with some other members of the Chinese public when we couldn't access or watch events like the Winter Olympics freely as spectators last year. So, so much of this job is about experiencing and seeing things for ourselves. And I felt a bit sad that we couldn't be a part of that as freely as we wanted to be. Our team would make sure that we would always have our camera equipment, editing equipment with us. We would shuttle it back and forth from the office because you just never knew whether the office building would come under lockdown if a confirmed or suspected case had been found. We did our live crosses from home at one point. And on the personal front, I think with, as with many other foreigners living here in China during these few years, getting home to Singapore has been a challenge um, because of the, the lengthy quarantine and the lack of flights into Beijing. It sounds so arduous just getting to the most basic places. What about you, Min Min? What was it like in Shanghai? Well, I think for Shanghai last year, one of the most significant moments was the two months lockdown where we had shortage of food. A lot of people are wondering, that's good because then you'd be very free. You're just reporting from home. You can't go out. And then other people would be wondering when I'm reporting on TV, they're like, how can you know the truth when you're at home? You're not even going out to verify these things. And actually, the fact is that this period, this two months when I'm stuck at home, turned out to be one of the busiest periods in the entire year because we asked for permission from the foreign ministry to go out to report, but they said no. But at this time, there were so many unbelievable stories that came out on social media. People just talking about not just not being able to get food, but people are dying, not from COVID, but from delayed treatment because they couldn't get to the hospital because there wasn't any public transport. They literally couldn't find a way to get there and they couldn't leave their house because they didn't get an exit permit in time or they didn't have the PCR test to enter hospitals and were denied treatment. And then there were like elderly people who were mistakenly sent to the funeral parlor when they were still alive. And there were deaths in nursing homes that went unreported. There were just all these things that just really surreal and unbelievable sometimes. And uh, the moment they pop up on social media, they would be scrubbed within hours by the authorities. So I was really busy just trying to screenshot everything and save these videos and take down who actually posted them. And I would try to track them down later on to hopefully find at least several eyewitnesses or people around the area who could verify and corroborate these stories. So it was really busy as I was also navigating my own situation with food shortage and the lockdown as well. And Olivia, you mentioned traveling domestically earlier. That was a challenge too, given I remember you telling us about notifications that you get on your phone that would pretty much render you hostage wherever you were. Yeah, so I think that also had to do with living in Beijing, which posed its own challenges, particularly as the capital, especially last year, which was a politically sensitive year with a big twice a decade Communist Party Congress. So Beijing had in the whole country some of the strictest COVID policies. So for example, you know, to cover some of the big events here, it required us to have not left Beijing in the last 21 days at one point. 
And then another big thing were these health code apps on our phones, which were a key part of China's zero COVID policy. Each province had their own. Shanghai had its own. Beijing had its own. And we had to scan our phones to check into places. And this data collected would determine whether or not we had been to any risky so-called risky places. And if the code was green, it was normal and you were in good health, you had no risk and you could move about freely. But if not, at one point, Beijing imposed rules which would trigger a dreaded pop-up window, which meant that the big data found you were at risk of possibly being infected and you wouldn't be able to, if you have this abnormal health code, visit any public spaces. And it really caused a lot of inconveniences for many people. There were a few reasons why you would receive this pop-up I received quite a few of those and one of them known as pop-up notification number one said, and I still have the screenshot here, it says, you have a travel history to a county where one or more local COVID-19 cases have been confirmed within the past seven days. Beijing's COVID containment policy requires you to postpone your trip to Beijing. And if you are in Beijing, please report yourself to the neighborhood committee and follow the required containment policy. When I checked, it had locked my flight and train booking app. And so the notification then said that due to pandemic prevention control requirements, you temporarily cannot book a flight into Beijing. And so we had to be very strategic and efficient to minimize the risk of any complications every time we chose to leave Beijing because getting back could be a real challenge. And just imagine for those people who are used to shuttling around the country for work, a short two to three day trip could land you in 14 days of home quarantine. And so in Beijing, especially, we saw many people just choosing to stay put. Wow, it's so hard to believe that that was your reality, Olivia. While many people are definitely looking forward to China's reopening, some are watching the country's move with a mixture of dread and trepidation. Min Min, are we expecting to see a flood of Chinese travelers around the world anytime soon? Well, you know, today I have a friend who was at the Putong International Airport and you would think that it would be very crowded with people just trying to get out or travel for the first time. But he said it was still very empty and there was just one international outbound flight going to Frankfurt. I think that really symbolizes the travel industry right now. When I go out to speak to people, there is definitely this pent-up demand. A lot of people very excited to make a trip overseas. But a lot of them tell me that they cannot afford it right now because tickets are so expensive. And a lot of travel agencies are also charging very high prices to process their visas. And that's because right now, international flights is still around 8% of pre-pandemic levels. So a lot of People tell me that they are planning to wait a few more months for the travel industry to catch up with that demand. And some people are still worried about getting COVID overseas or getting exposed to new variants overseas. Uh, so they want to wait for a while for things to stabilize before taking that trip. Okay, so fast forward. Tell me now, where were you, Olivia? Uh, what went through your head when you heard that all of a sudden, the government was going to make a U-turn, going from its suffocating grip to completely opening up. I still can remember that moment quite vividly. In fact, I think there were two key moments. First, we're talking about the relaxation of measures on the domestic front. Uh, rather abruptly in early December, I had been in Singapore on my first trip back home in a while and for work and for a break. And, I, and prior to this announcement, I was hearing of more and more friends whose buildings here in Beijing, that their apartment complexes were being put under lockdown. 
because the virus was spreading and there were confirmed cases detected in their neighborhood. But what was new, I felt, was also more and more, we also heard of residents banding together to voice their unhappiness to neighborhood committees against potential lockdowns. And there were these lists circulating on WeChat, advising people on how to talk to officials effectively. And this to me was a sign that things were different this time because in the last few years, if we spoke to many people, they would say that they were supportive of China's zero COVID policy. But now with the lockdowns, increasingly more and more people affected, it was disruptive. They were unable to go out to work. There seemed to be no end in sight and more were openly expressing their unhappiness. Uh, and this also as news broke of how a fire in Xinjiang killed 10 people who were in lockdown and people were angered. And so it was like this volcano waiting to erupt. But many were surprised when this actually erupted into actual protests in many cities, which is risky because of the serious repercussions that they have in a place like China. And we do hear of the fallout for people who took part. So many people have asked, was the U-turn in zero COVID because of the protests? Officially, that is not the narrative that the authorities are going to go with. But uh, we know that the U-turn came shortly after those protests came. So it was like one moment, friends were in lockdown, confined in their homes. And then the next moment, everything was gone. Testing booths that had been littered, the city were all dismantled. I was ironically serving the last night of my eight days of quarantine in a hotel in Chongqing after returning from Singapore when this news broke. That was late on December 26. I remember it was after 11 p.m. And then I had to quickly get ready to go live to talk about it at midnight. It was big news and there had been rumours that China would eventually scrap these quarantine requirements, but it was also a lot sooner than many people had expected. As I left the quarantine hotel that day, the next day in fact, it was surreal. This very sterile environment, the smell of disinfectant and sanitizer in the lift and the corridors. And as I was leaving, I was thinking to myself, well, wow, this really felt like the end of another chapter and hopefully the last quarantine that I and everyone here will have to experience in a very, very long while. Olivia used the word baffling, Min Min. What word would you describe when you think back to the moment you realized, hey, things were really changing? I think for me, it was really surreal and unbelievable, mainly because how quickly things flipped from 100 to zero. It's like whiplash because before the announcement, you could get COVID and be dragged into a quarantine center and you would cause all your neighbors in your entire building to go into hard lockdown. And suddenly we went from that to let it rip through the community and end the quarantine, stop the health codes, end the mass testing. It kind of reminds me of the Shanghai lockdown as well. It was the same thing the way things were announced. The announcement for the lockdown came around something like 8pm at night and the lockdown began a few hours later at midnight. So people were scrambling to get food. And the same thing two months later when the lockdown ended. I think an announcement came maybe a few days before and then everything just went from 0 to 100 like boom. So it was just very shocking how quickly things move here. Min Min, this newfound freedom, for some, it was very jarring, devastating even. And I'm talking about those who fell sick as soon as the government let the virus proliferate. In one of your reports, Min Min, you were in a hospital in Shanghai. And I remember there was one shot in your story. 
The camera, it just pans down the hallways, absolutely filled to capacity. Tell us, how did you get access to that hospital and what were people inside saying? Yeah, it was quite a heartbreaking moment for me to go in that hospital. And it's really a different world in there because outside you're seeing these crowds of people back on the streets, some of them without a mask, kind of celebrating this return to normalcy. But inside those hospital doors and an emergency ward, every inch of available floor space was taken up with beds just in the corridors, in front of the payment counters, everywhere. And I heard a doctor telling a patient that they have no beds available. And some patients tell me they were asked to return every single day to get an IV drip because they can't stay overnight. There's no space for them. And so they have been going to the hospital every day for about nine days when I spoke to them. So there was absolutely no privacy in a hospital. I could walk around and it's a situation where I could see elderly patients getting their diapers changed everything out in the open. Uh, But the surprising thing was that when I speak to some of these people, their family members, they tell me that it is better to get infected now with COVID-19. At least the accessibility issue is solved compared to during the lockdown. They don't have to worry about getting a PCR test before going to the hospital. They don't have to worry about being unable to leave their homes or being unable to find public transport to get there. Most people just feel helpless and see it as inevitable that China eventually has to loosen these controls. And they seem to be quite supportive of the loosening restrictions despite the heightened risk of getting COVID. But for those who are blessed with good health, right now heading home is top of mind, given we are on the cusp of Chinese New Year. And it's going to be the first time in years people can finally reunite with their families unhindered by draconian curbs. Coming up, we talk about what the end of zero COVID means for the 2.1 billion trips that are expected to be made. Stay with us. Hi, my name is Julie Yu, and I'm the host of The Climate Conversations. Each week, I speak to guests who give us tips on how we can protect the Earth. Every once in a while, we also have interesting stories, like how Singapore's first Tesla owner prompted billionaire Elon Musk to reach out to Prime Minister Lee Sen Long, or a chef who makes the juiciest burgers from only plant-based ingredients. For more stories like these, look for The Climate Conversations on our CNA and Me Listen apps or wherever you get your podcasts. Two years ago, I came back after the post-COVID period. I had to um, quarantine Guangzhou at that point of time. And there weren't even any direct flights here to Shenzhen, but I'm, I'm working here. I'm living and working here. So yeah, and that was two weeks of quarantine. So hooray! I've heard that clip, Olivia, more than once, and every time it makes me smile. Hooray, right? She's so excited. Olivia, you were in Shenzhen when the first passengers arrived after the opening. Tell us about the other reactions from some of the first inbound travelers. Yeah, Teresa, when I was interviewing that lady that we heard from, that was actually 35-year-old Jaya. She's a Singaporean teacher who's working in Shenzhen, and her energy was just so infectious, even though it was was late, it was past midnight. Um, I too had a huge smile on my face when I was interviewing her behind my mask, of course. I think the significance (laughs) of the day dawned on me. I remember standing at the International Arrival Hall at the Shenzhen Airport, waiting for the passengers of the flight to, to stream out. And 
it hit me that these scenes of these people eagerly awaiting the arrival of their loved ones, ready to, you know, give them a big hug straight off the plane, some holding flowers and welcome signs, some with young children and even a dog I saw in a bag. There was also a husband I spoke to who was waiting for his wife to arrive. They had just got married early last year and they haven't seen each other for more than half a year. And since then, they discovered they were expecting a baby. So it was really heartwarming. We're also talking about the partial reopening of borders between Hong Kong and the mainland. And I was at one of the reopened border checkpoints in Shenzhen. And there was a mom with her two young children heading to Hong Kong. And she couldn't help but get emotional and tear. And she talked about her excitement in being able to be reunited with her husband and eldest daughter who live in Hong Kong. I have to say the airport arrival hall is one of my favorite places in the world, just seeing people seeing their loved ones again. But not everyone is so excited about traveling, right? I know for me, I was really hesitant to hop on a plane so quickly. Yeah, that's right. You know, even though the World Tourism Organization estimates that the reopening could bring more than $200 billion back to international tourism, it may take some time, possibly according to some industry players we've spoken to, things could possibly only get back to business as usual in the middle of this year. So, and the sense that we get from people that we have been speaking to is, yes, they are happy that they get the option to travel overseas once again, but there are still concerns. There is the cost and logistics of travel that Min Min mentioned earlier. International flights in and out of China only at 8% of pre-pandemic levels. And speaking to some aviation experts, they say that it will take some time for airlines to ramp up capacity. There's a whole process to go through with the airport authorities, the paperwork, with manpower. The tourism industry also needs to ready itself to receive an influx of Chinese visitors. Another factor also so that are causing some Chinese to hesitate with overseas travel are the restrictions that have been imposed by some of the countries. Like we have recently seen China hit back at Japan and South Korea who have imposed these testing requirements on Chinese travelers. China stopping the issuance of short-term visas and suspending its transit-free policy. There's also concern that among the Chinese that this may bring some inconveniences if they were to head to these countries. So they say that they may want to wait. And then there's also still the pandemic concern. The virus here in China is still sweeping the country. People are concerned about getting sick again, and they want to wait things out. Timing is everything, as they say, uh, and the opening coming just ahead of the Chinese New Year. The Vice Minister of Transport saying that this is the most challenging situation for China in recent years. And estimates are that the total number of passenger trips will hit about 2.1 billion. Min Min, tell us what are officials doing to ensure that infections are under control while people travel during this time? Well, we know that this travel peak is going to coincide with a peak in infection rates and the Ministry of Transport has said that this could lead to an increase in demand for freight transportation to carry necessities like food and medical supplies and there could be a logistics crunch coming from widespread infection among the frontline transportation workers and this is going to hit the rural areas hard because they have weaker distribution capabilities and also less advanced medical infrastructure over there. So the 
Ministry of Transport said that they are doing everything they can to prepare for the Spring Festival travel rush, ensuring the health of employees, proper ventilation in the trains and maintenance of these transportation networks. But still, they said that this is going to be the most challenging and uncertain times for China in recent years. 2.1 billion trips. That is just incredible. Before we go, I want your final thoughts on living through such an extraordinary time in China. For both of you, how do you think zero COVID and its fallout have changed people's perspective of President Xi? Olivia? I think there are two big questions here. One, how the people judge the handling of this exit from zero COVID, this abrupt U-turn. In the last few years, it's been so rare to hear of anyone getting COVID until we started to approach the end of this zero COVID policy. And But this time round, you know, we were very quickly getting messages of people saying that, oh yeah, I'm down, I've tested positive. The joke is that now you don't ask people, oh, 你吃了吗? Or have you eaten? Opening question now is, 你养过了吗? Or (laughs) have you tested positive already? But jokes aside, people I've been speaking to just casually, not just in Beijing, but in Chongqing and in Shenzhen, they talk about knowing those who have died by sticking to a zero COVID policy for this long. One might argue that while people are unhappy with the stress that has been put on the healthcare system and what this means for their lives, there's a sense also of relief that people now see an exit from the pandemic and they want to get on with life, which has really not been easy in the last three years. And that leads to the second question. What's the longer term impact of this zero COVID era? Don't forget that there are many other challenges that China and President Xi had been dealing with prior to this pandemic. Currently, we're also talking about, for example, a struggling real estate sector. Unemployment is still a big and growing concern. Um, According to economists I've been speaking to, the global economic outlook does not look good. How is China going to handle that? And how is President Xi and his leadership team going to deal with this? And that's all set to play out now in this next post-zero COVID chapter of China's story as it has chosen to now live with the virus. Min Min? First of all, it shows that in some ways the government is actually responsive to change. The U-turn in the policy shows that presidency is able and willing to walk back old policies that no longer make sense. But some locals may also walk away thinking that, you know what, those protests worked, we got our voices heard, and the government is adjusting its policy accordingly. But also those protests are unprecedented, and it does in some ways break up that facade of presidency's unchallenged authority, especially Especially so soon after he had just confirmed an unprecedented third term in office at the 20th Party Congress in October. Currently, the high unofficial death toll from the current wave of infection is also not reflecting very well on this administration. The WHO is accusing China of underrepresenting the severity of this outbreak because China doesn't include people dying from other underlying diseases in its COVID death toll. And it does look as if the government rushed into a very ill-prepared strategy without doing enough to boost its healthcare capacity and vaccination rates among the elderly in the last three years before hurriedly opening up in the winter when the virus is known to spread more quickly instead of waiting a few more months to open up in the spring. Clearly, one chapter has closed for China, but a very new one is emerging as well. Olivia, Min Min, so happy to speak to you both, and I'm really glad that you can finally return to some normalcy. So glad to speak to you, Theresa. Good to speak to you, and um, yeah, it's now adjusting to a whole new different China. 
The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Follow this podcast version that takes you behind the scenes with our correspondents so you'll know when a new episode is out. The team behind this episode is Jacqueline Chan, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang.